and you were listening to A Multitude Comes from the East and the West. And it's Tuesday, August the 20th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. It's the day when we take a look at the hymn assigned, and this time it's for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, August the 25th, 2019. We're going to take a look at it. Unfortunately, I'm taking a look at it alone. Pastor Mark Smith is on assignment. He does indicate he'll be back next week. So we're going to be looking at this hymn all by myself. A multitude comes from the east and the west. It was uh, written by Magnus M. Langstadt. And he really based it on the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. We'll talk about that in a moment. It ranks as one of his best hymns. The translation is by Peter Stromy, and it appeared first in 1913 and was included in the Lutheran Book of Worship in 1978. So, the tune itself first appeared anonymously in 1694 and then also in 1697. And it does so happen to go with the Lanstant's text. The harmonization is a slightly altered form of that, which Paul Bunges prepared for Lutheran Book of Worship in 1978. So without further ado, let's kind of begin. A multitude comes from the east and the west to sit at the feast of salvation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the blessed, obeying the Lord's invitation. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. Now, I don't know if you heard my promo, but in the promo, I made the point, why is it saying only from the east and the west? What happened to the north and the south. Well, first of all, there's a number of times that east and west is used in the Bible. Uh, for example, they'll talk about that the understanding of God and the way that he has taken care of our sins, they are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. But I believe that the north and south comes in also. In Luke chapter 13, which just so happens to be the gospel for this coming week. And it's Jesus talking about, and we discussed this yesterday, those who are saved, will there be few? And Jesus says, well, there will be some people who he will not know because of their unfaith. And they will be weeping and gnashing when they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Now listen to verse 29 of Luke 13. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. So the Bible itself covers every 
direction on earth, north, east, south, and west. And who is that referring to then specifically? Well, it's referring to people who many of the Jews felt were unworthy to enter into the kingdom of God. They weren't going to be there. And they weren't going to be there because they were not good enough. Remember, Pharisee thanking God he's not like that tax collector. Why? Because he, as a Pharisee, gives tithes, he fasts, he follows the ceremonial laws, whereas he doesn't believe the tax collectors do. In fact, they really accuse Jesus of not following the ceremonial laws. Uh, one Sabbath, they were in a field, and the uh, disciples began to take the meal that they were to have from the field, uh, eating whatever they were eating. And the Pharisee says, don't they know that it is illegal to do that? Uh, another time, Jesus had healed a man and who was lame. And they accused him of not following the Sabbath because doctors were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes back and says, well, if you have your animal fall into a ditch, are you going to wait till the following day to get him or are you going to get him right away? And so Jesus made it very clear that he was there to share the good news with everybody. And that included the least likely people, like tax collectors, prostitutes, and also Gentiles. So that's the multitude that's coming from the east and the west, and will include the north and the south, to sit at the Feast of Salvation. Now, that's really not just talking about the afterlife, but it's also talking about here on earth. Where's the Feast of Salvation? There are many names for the Lord's Supper, uh, Holy Communion, uh, the Eucharist, but we can understand it also as the Feast of Salvation. It's where we receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ as an assurance that we are saved. Now, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the blessed, obeying the Lord's invitation. Now, why are they mentioned, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If you'll recall, in Exodus, when Moses is on Mount Sinai and he sees a burning bush, it says the angel of the Lord began to speak to him. And we understand that anytime the definite article is there, it's usually referring to none other than Jesus himself in his pre-incarnate state before he became a human being. And Moses finally asks him, who are you? What is your name? And he says, I am Yahweh. I am who I am. And I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because... To Abraham came the promise from God that through his child, Isaac, there will be a tremendous blessing for the whole earth, which Jacob will continue in bearing children, all the way down to Jesus. If you want to see that link, turn to the first chapter of Matthew, 
and there's a genealogy of Jesus beginning with Abraham. And there's three sections to it, and each one has 14 names until you get to Jesus. So, obeying the Lord's invitation, that's an invitation to come to the meal. Now, in a parable that it appears this was based on, people begin to make excuses when the king invites them to a wedding or to a feast. Uh, One says, I'm sorry, I have bought some land and I have to go see it. (laughs) That, That never happens. Nobody buys land in the east. If you believe that, I'll be glad to sell you some swamp land in Florida if you don't go look at it and see it. And so they had all kinds of excuses. Uh, Another one says, I just got married. Now, to be married is to be with a woman. And to say that you're going to be with a woman instead of coming to the banquet to which you were invited, that's a real put down of the person who invited you in that day. You're making women more important But it's really not that you're doing that. It's an excuse. You don't want to come to the banquet. They they don't want to come to the banquet of Jesus, that man from Nazareth. But a multitude will come from the east and the west. It's amazing how many people follow Jesus as his disciples, particularly in light of the many miracles he was doing. So, verse 2 O God, let us hear when our shepherd shall call in accents persuasive and tender, that while there is time we make haste one and all and find him our mighty defender. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. Now, when you first read that superficially, it sounds like that we're looking for Jesus And we're going to make haste to him and make a decision to follow him. No, you need to remember that this probably is talking also about the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Oh God, let us hear when our shepherd shall call in accents persuasive and tender. Now imagine you're that lost sheep. When Jesus went looking for the lost sheep, I'm sure, as any shepherd would, he would be calling out the name of that particular lost sheep. That's right. The shepherds knew and had names for each of their sheep. And you can imagine that wherever this shepherd was in trying to find the sheep, uh, the sheep would love to see the shepherd, but he didn't know which way to go. Maybe he was in a hole, a ditch, whatever. So when the shepherd called his name out, it was in accents persuasive and tender. So let's say the sheep's name was Billy. The shepherd wasn't saying, Billy, where are you? You are so dumb that you got lost. But rather, it would be, Billy, my sheep, I'm coming to find you and to carry you home. 
Those are accents, persuasive and tender. See, a lot of people are afraid of God because they have the former view of God on their minds that he's coming to get even for their sins. And so they work even harder in trying to do good things to offset God's wrath. But there's nothing you can do to offset God's proper wrath against sinners. Then why would he come to you tenderly? Because Jesus offset that wrath by dying on the cross and taking the punishment that should have been mine, that should have been yours. And and that's why the distinction between law and gospel is so critical. The law is not tender. No, the law is rough. Do this and you will live. Uh, To the lawyer in the story of the Good Samaritan, yes, start loving the Good Samaritan and you could be saved. But these are commands that are impossible to be fulfilled by a sinful human being. That's why the gospel is really something that has persuasive accents and tender. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Therefore, while there is time, we make haste one and all and find him our mighty defender. How do we find him? We take our children to be baptized. We ourselves go to the Lord's Supper because it is there that the defender against the devil is found and we can rest comfortably and assurance of faith. Verse 3, All trials shall be like a dream that is past, forgotten all trouble and mourning. All questions and doubts have been answered at last when rises the light of that morning. Now there, this multitude is coming from the east and the west, the south and the north. Those are those who have been ushered into heaven after the day of the last day, the judgment day. And all of their trials shall be like a dream that is past. I mean, how many of us have gone through some surgery and we had some pain? Maybe we're in the hospital for a few days or even longer. But now a year later, we can hardly remember the pain because we don't have it anymore. And so that's what heaven is going to be like. All the trials that you are going through right now will be like a dream that is past, forgotten all trouble and mourning. There is a high rate of suicide they've discovered in Paris, in France, by policemen. The police, this is the highest rate they've had in years, even the first half of this year, 2019, and they can't figure out why. Although the article kind of pointed that many of the people in France do not like police. They put them down, and a number of police have been beaten up by the populace, etc., because of the economic situation, etc. There was a lower rate of suicide a few years ago 
when people were trying to blow up Paris and the police were catching them and putting them arrested. Then they were considered as heroes. But right now, for many people, they're not considered as heroes. It's a similar situation here in the United States of America, where people just, every time they see a policeman, they get turned off. But I was stopped recently on uh, a trip to the congregations I preach at uh, by a policeman. He pulled me over. It was late at night. And the reason was my headlight was out. And I was unaware that one of my headlights was out. He didn't give me a ticket, but he told me how to drive carefully, check me out, and let me go. Very, very nice policeman. I really appreciate it. I even thanked him for letting me know. So that way I could alert people that I was driving a car. I would flip on the high beams when they were far enough away just so they knew it was a car, not a motorcycle. So I've got a pretty positive view uh, of the police. And that's what's going to happen in heaven. You'll have questions and doubts, and they'll be answered at last. I mean, how many people doubt that they're going to heaven because they don't think they're good enough? But they're going to have a wonderful crown, which the next verse is going to talk about. So let's look at that. The heavens shall ring with an anthem more grand than ever on earth was recorded. The blessed of the Lord shall receive at his hand the crown to the victors awarded. What crown? Well, if you look in the book of Revelation, the saints are wearing crowns. Kind of think of the Olympics. You know, the one who wins the gold may receive a great medal. In other places, they receive a crown that's put on their head. Well, Jesus received the gold medal, the gold crown. It's on his head. But he transfers it to your head when you are baptized. Because not only do you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, you also receive the gift of the robe of righteousness. Those are two gifts, and they're very important. Because to offset your sins, you receive the forgiveness of sins. And to offset your inability to do good works as you should you receive Christ's robe of righteousness, which has done all the good works perfectly. And therefore, God regards you, a sinner, as a saint in his eyes, all because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why every one of these stanzas end with the same refrain. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. Why mercy? Mercy, in contrast to justice, justice, you get what you deserve. You don't want that. You'll get eternal hell. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, like the forgiveness of sins. So what's mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so we don't deserve to go to heaven because of our sinful deeds. Yet God has forgiven those sinful deeds, dressed us in his robe of righteousness, and given us a crown. 
that really is the crown of Christ. That's why we end every phrase, have mercy upon us, and then say, oh, Jesus. Because Jesus is the light of that morning that verse 3 talks about. He's the morning star. And what do we mean by the morning star? He's the one that brings light into your life. I am the light of the world. I am the life of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the gate into heaven. I am the good shepherd. There are so many I am's that Jesus refers to himself that it is in those biblical passages that we therefore find the assurance that we'll be part of that multitude that comes from the east and the west and then adding on also what the passage in Luke 13 verse 29 says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Boy, I tell you, to eat with somebody in Jesus' day often meant that you respected them, they were kind of an equal to you, and that's why the Pharisees were so angry at Jesus. Why? Because he was eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. They would never do that. See, eating in a public place is different than eating at McDonald's. When I walk into McDonald's, I don't even care who's in there. It could be somebody running from the police. It could be somebody who beats up his wife. It could be children who are disobedient. No, I, I don't leave McDonald's because of those things, even if I knew them. Whereas in Jesus' day, if you were eating with someone, if you were reclining at the table with them, that means you were very, very, very important to them. And that's how important you're going to be on the day of judgment. That even though you're a sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, God has forgiven that sin, and you're also dressed in the robe of righteousness. Remember that one parable where when the individual who's giving the banquet walks in and he sees that one of the individuals isn't dressed properly. And in this context, we say maybe doesn't have a crown on their head or they're not in white or whatever. Guess what? They are removed because Jesus did not know them since they are unbelievers. That, that's also what this text from Luke 13 says. I tell you, I do not know where you come from, depart from me, all you workers of evil. That's not us, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for our sins and being raised for our justification. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, some of my listeners have written in about passages they'd like to know more about. We're going to use one of them tomorrow for Bible Study Wednesday. So join with us at 930 
God willing for that study, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.